Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of NHASED Spotlight, a podcast. This is where we discuss educational topics in order to be a catalyst for conversation to inspire excellence in teaching, learning, and leading. This is Jan Yost, the Executive Director of NHASED, and your host for this episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to NHASCD Spotlight, a podcast. Today, my co-host for this episode is Tom Crumline, the assessment coordinator for the Concord School District. Nice to have you back, Tom. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Excuse me. Our guests for this episode are the co-authors of the new book, Hacking Learning Centers, in grades 6 through 12. I'm going to emphasize six through 12, and we'll get to that in a while. Um, so please welcome back Star Saxton. Star, welcome. Thanks so much. Always great to be on with the New Hampshire ASCD folks. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to have you. And a new guest to us, Karen Terwilliger. I'm sorry. I, oh, I, perfect. Okay, I thought I slaughtered that. Um, so my apologies if I did. And Karen, it's so nice to have you here with us. Oh, thank you. And it's so nice to be here with you. I'm very excited uh, to be here. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think you just shared that you just got your copies of the book. How mm -hmm. exciting is that? That's such a good feeling. All right. And as I, as I think about <laughs> this, this is strictly audio. Right. Yeah. yeah. I will I will put all the information on the show notes for those who are listening to this and can learn more and access the book. So to start this off, um, we'd love to learn a little bit about you and sort of what prompted you to write this book. Okay, well, I'll, I'll start and then I'll let Karen kind of take it. So we have a unique a unique story, a unique origin story. Karen and I worked together in the last district we both worked in, in West Hempstead in New York. Um, I was Karen's curriculum director and she was a sixth grade teacher on our ELA team. And um, she was one of the early adopters of me and my crazy ways when I came to the district. And she always was inviting me into her classroom. And it was the first space I really felt like a part of the space that was going on as a leader. And that was something I was desperately missing when I stepped out of my teacher role into this new role that I was in. And we were setting up her professional learning goals um, one year while we were doing that before her first observation. And she had mentioned she wanted to write a book and she was doing some crazy stuff with learning centers in her classroom and i said okay well if you want to write a book i could help make that happen um are you serious about wanting to write a book and she's like yes and i said okay well then we're gonna write a book and i reached out to mark barnes and i was like i have a book idea and literally two days later we had a contract and we were writing a book and as Karen and I were working through the process, we kind of had in our minds that we were gonna be writing this learning center book because that's the work we were focusing on together in her classroom. And so it's like, what do we need to, what do we need to make sure we're keeping track of 
as we go so that this system could be best put in place for folks who are starting from scratch. So I'm gonna turn it over to you, Karen. How did you choose learning centers as the topic we were gonna be writing about? Um, thank you, Star. Uh, and yes, we did have a wonderful relationship and it's exactly uh, how we got started and, and so nice to work with you. And um, basically the idea came from me being a kindergarten teacher. I was a kindergarten teacher for um, 16 years before I became a sixth grade teacher. And um, we that's how we taught. We taught with learning centers and small little mini lessons. And um, it was just so exciting for the kids. The kids felt comfortable. And of course, they do that first grade, second grade, third grade, mo through most of their elementary career. So when I moved up to sixth grade, I mean, small group instruction, that was what I was used to. So I brought that with me into the middle school. And then when Star came on board as uh, my director, again, we were doing the, those learning goals and we were moving at that point, our district uh, went to the Princeton model and made a, um, uh, an intermediate school. And so uh, the space was new for me to create and Star and I said, well, how, what are we going to, what are we going to make this look like? And I had this vision in my head, let's put the nook there and let's put a little bookshelf here and a carpet here. And we just made that happen. And um, that's how really learning centers in sixth grade intermediate school began. Yeah. That's awesome. That's very cool. I, um, I am certainly um, on the bus with you um already because uh years ago i um was trying to shake up our math department which i was supervising at the time high school math and we did tours of the elementary school um because i had volunteered in one of my daughter's classes and i was like this is amazing she's got 22 kids in here and they're doing six different things at the same time and it's perfection like every single kid is working um so um, but it, it was a very hard sell and it was even hard to get people to walk down to the elementary school with me. So how do you, how do you work that piece of the six through 12 who, um, you know, are like, well, that's for, that's for elementary. We, we, we lecture and do practice work here at the high so, school. So Tom, first of all, what you just described was my exact experience too as a secondary person now being responsible for you know observing folks in the elementary school i was like i really need to get some of my high school folks to watch these elementary teachers because the biggest pushback i was getting at the high school was kids can't function on their own i'm like no no they can they're doing it when they're five and six and seven and eight, like this, these are structures that they have learned. And what I learned in that leadership space is that high school teachers are really the ones who are uncomfortable letting go of the control to give it over to the students in that space, which is why also I was thrilled that Karen was, you know, willing to implement this practice. And there were other pockets of it in the humanities department, in the social studies classrooms, like we did gallery walks as one way to think about centers. And we used different strategies in other ELA classes as well, where kids were kind of like um, 
World Cafe style where there were different stations where they, there were tart papers set up along the walls and they were moving through the room either, you know, in five to seven minute blocks, depending on how many stations they had to go to versus the model Karen and I developed that was more like a these rotations are going to happen over a semester or a marking period and we're going to spend full period time in each of the stations so that kids are getting more depth um, in their time with each one of those stations and it's supporting like giving them voice and choice to choose the station they wanted to be in for those rotations to support wherever they felt they needed additional time to be working on those subjects, which again, Karen, I'm gonna let you talk about how you had those A-B classes and how those support times were used to really let kids make choices about their learning. Sure, thanks. Um, And uh, basically we had uh, this model where I taught ELA one full class period, 42 minutes. um, And then we had what we called a plus period, an additional period, and it was an every other day set up. So I saw these students every other day, and this was an enrichment, um, a support, uh, whatever we thought we needed to do with them. And as Star said, we've done different kind, different models um, a bit. So we, in ELA, had literature circles. So we were used to, to having these students work in small groups, but this was different, like Star said, because we set up these different centers. We also allowed the students to have a voice in what these centers um, contained. And they amazingly came up with some awesome ideas. Uh, Instead of just the writing center, they came up with, for example, the uh, comic strip center. So they were not only using writing, they were using art and they were using conversation and they really got to uh, do character analysis and setting analysis, all these skills that we teach in ELA. And they made the center and it became their own. So it was, um, uh, gave them more autonomy and and just uh, better. They wanted to be in that center and they wanted to learn. They didn't want to leave. And that was exciting. I mean, that's exciting for a teacher to see and to, to witness. Yeah, that sounds um, great. Can I follow up slightly? Um, uh, what happens when, um, you know, you try and have a lot of choice. We have at, at our high school heterogeneous classes. So there's a science for ninth graders. Every, uh, every student takes ninth grade science. Um, how, do you, how do you work with it when a student is choosing uh, the choice that you meant for um, a more struggling learner? They're, they're choosing the, the easier choice. You know, I had a student who read at a second grade level last year, and then I, I had somebody that I had hoped would make a harder choice picking what I sort of intended her to do. How do you, how do you challenge kids to um, challenge themselves? So I would say that the first step is kind of like you, we give them the choice, we let them see what they choose. We see if it's a first time choice or if it's a habitual choice. And then I think if it looks like it's gonna be a habitual choice, like it's happened now two, three weeks in a row, it's time to have a sit down one-on-one conference with them and not one that's like they're in trouble or anything like that, but just try to get to the heart of 
why they're making the choices that they're making. How is this supporting their learning? What challenges do they perceive that they're having that this is the choice that they're making? It's really been Karen and my experience though that in the system that we had set up, kids were making really good choices. Um, they, after a while, they stopped choosing to just be with their friends. They started making choices about, you know, where am I going to be doing the best learning for this period? What do I need right now? And I think that that had a lot to do with the fact that we had self-assessment and reflection as a part of this process as well. So they were accountable for their choices um, and how it was supporting their learning over time. Great. Thank you. That's awesome. Okay. Um, if, I, if I could make a, oh, an additional comment. Please. And also, um, when they came in, into class, time to, to give them a little feedback. Um, say, oh, I've noticed that you haven't been in this center. You want to get a try. And, and they, you know, and we, we would almost negotiate with them a little bit as they came in because everybody doesn't come in at once. They, they staggered in. So we got to have that little one-on-one -on -one time to steer them in the right direction. And in addition, we had them create artifacts at the end of each rotation. So they were accountable for uh, turning in something, uh, whether it was um, uh, a piece that they had written or uh, just a little, let's say, um, um, reflection or some kind of, of artifact. So that also held them, so they weren't going to the same center each time. It held them a little bit accountable to get yeah. into other centers. Yeah. That sounds great. So I, I'm curious that, um, let's, let's do a hypothetical. I am a teacher. And I would like to dip my toe into this whole um, framework process. Where do I start? Any suggestions? Um, well, I mean, it like first I would figure out what's the purpose for why you're setting it up. Like I think yeah. that that's goal number one because that's going to drive what kinds of centers you set up. Um, and if you were dipping your toes in, I would go with fewer centers rather than more to start. Um, and I would have it be things that are very directly aligned with content and skills first. See how the kids kind of get used to the dynamic and then start inviting their suggestions once they understand what they're doing there, why they're doing it, and how it's going to support their whole class learning at the same time. So it, it really needs to start a little top down before you could kind of pick it up and do the, you know, what comes next piece. And this is where, Karen, I think you could really expound because by the end of the year, the kids were really making all the choices about what the centers were. So you want to talk about like the transition from the beginning till the end? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, first, like uh, I said before, you had to, we took a look at the classroom space. So take a look at your space. As Star said, what am I going to, what, what are my goals? Um, what are the skills that I'm going to learn? So if you're going to have the students 
listening to stories. They, um, you, you need uh, uh, to be, have the listening space next to an outlet or have a Chromebook available. So it's all very, um, again, looking at the layout, delineating different areas, um, kind of setting them up to, to be inviting and cozy. Um, even if it's just putting a group of desks together or having some different chairs set up or, or things like that. And then um, gather your materials. A lot, we have so, so many materials as teachers. And if we just take those materials and, and put them out and um, lay them out, that also helps. And um, uh, sorry, kind of lost my train of thought. No, that's great. Thank you. No, yeah, thanks. That's great. You know, as you speak about that, I'm going, I'm reflecting back on my days as a secondary math teacher. Um, and you talk about developing your space or creating your space, gathering your materials. Well, I mean, I at one point went from teaching sort of a remedial math to AP Calc. That was the transition from one period to the next period, one 45 minute block to the next 45 minute block. I mean, this was like back in the middle ages when we had that. But, you know, how do you address your space, the distribution of materials with such a wide diversity in courses and within such a short period of time? So, I would say that you build it into the time schedule of what's going on, especially if you have to move the space back for what's happening. So like, if you could start the class already set up, if that was possible, then obviously that's gonna be time saving. If you can't, then maybe part of your routine is the first two minutes of class when they get there, or at the very beginning of the year, you have them design a layout of the room. And if you were teaching geometry or something like that, where kids actually have to think about shapes and where things fit and how, like it could actually become a whole project where you ask them to redesign the room in the most efficient way to use the space for these centers, have them create shapes and you know different parts of the room that's gonna get them applying what they're learning in terms of, you know, how do, how do we make this fit um, a practical problem solving skill. And then once they get them to create those spaces, they are the ones that move the spaces there. Like, let's say I decide I want to be in, you know, visible math for today. And we're going to be thinking about drawing the learning that we're doing and creating a math story that goes with it. And maybe that one space is going to be something that I get to class first. So I start moving the chairs into that corner of the room that's going to be there. And we all know that when you work in public education, the likelihood of getting classes that are at wide ends of the spectrum are very likely. And from period to period, the reality of losing time because you have to shift the space, we just have to make it a part of the learning, you know, part of the rituals and routines that we're setting up in our spaces. That's I will great. say one thing that it made me think of as you were talking was um, the, I taught, I, I was the traveling teacher, so I didn't have a classroom at the high school one year. And so the setup that was there when we arrived every day was the traditional five by five, by five desks. 
and we had an A and a B. So I would have the students, um, if I wanted to switch it that day, I'd just say, we're gonna move to classroom A, which was sort of set up into you know, groups of four facing each other. And throughout the course of, of just a couple of weeks, they got really good. And then at the end every day, we'd switch it back to the traditional. So it, I, at first I thought, oh, I can't do this this year because I can't, you know, I, I don't have a classroom, but um, it, it actually wound up working really well. And I think, Tom, what you're addressing is some of the perceived hurdles um, that people have. And can you speak to other situations as Karen and Star speak to other situations where people said, no, I just can't do this. You know, this, this is such a huge hurdle to overcome, yet they have overcome them. That's all you, Karen. Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say uh, one hurdle is is just, um, oh my goodness, there's going to be so much paperwork and how am I going to uh, be able to get to every center at once? Um, you, you, you can't. You can't be in every center at once. And, and that's okay because there are going to be some natural leaders that, that come and, and help you. And they're going to be like mini teachers and, and they're going to surprise you. And some of them are going to come from out of left field and they want to help. They really do. And they want to, um, to, to have that responsibility. So what I did, um, and again, this is, comes from being in the kindergarten classroom. I had a clipboard and I had the um, class list on that clipboard and I would go from center to center and of course I always started with the center that either had the most noise or the least noise because then I knew either something was going on that uh oh I need to be there to to squelch the fire or I need to start a fire going in one of the groups so um that's that's I think probably um, the biggest uh, challenge, especially for secondary teachers, that there's so much going on. How am I going to, to know what's going on in every center? And then you position your body uh, so that you kind of see every center, not turning your back um, and, and just, you know, write down notes and, and, and the kids know, they know if you're, you know, and they know. Um, how to ask for help and and uh, and we instinctively know where to go to I think teachers to that end too Jan like when we started um, Karen had a lot of concerns just about like leadership walking in and like kind of looking at the chaos right. and part of the pushback that we would get is you know what if a an administrator walks into my room and it looks like there's chaos going on in here and how can I hold kids accountable if I'm not in every group at the same time? And obviously the one thing that made it comfortable in our partnership is that I was her leader. And part of one of the things that I wanted to make sure was in the book was that each chapter has leadership tips on how a leader can support a teacher who wants to be doing this kind of work what they can expect when they walk into these rooms um, in early iterations of what's going on versus later iterations of what's going on and how if a teacher feels 
empowered enough to make this kind of choice and take a risk, we need to be really supportive of the risk that's being taken because it doesn't it, it doesn't flow smoothly the very first time you try or the second time you try or sometimes even the third time you try. And it's got to be all right that that's what's happening so yeah. long as we could kind of talk to what the challenges were and what adjustments are being made and what kids were actually learning from that time that they were doing it. So that that's another thing for administrators listening. If you have a teacher who's confident enough at the secondary level to make this shift, give them all the support you can muster. Um, in the beginning, I made sure to get into Karen's room, be another adult who could just help flow of what was going on in the space so that Karen knew there were another pair of eyes non-evaluatively in the room just to support her while she was making these adjustments. And then we had the benefit of debriefing as a pair. Like, what did you notice was successful? Were there any gaps that I didn't see that you saw that we really need to work on in the future? So it's a great opportunity for a partnership between an administrator and a teacher who wants to, who want to try out these kinds of techniques. I love that. I think that is such a critical piece. Yes. Um, to the entire process because you know as an administrator or anybody walking in and see kids moving around and this is i think especially true at the secondary level um it's like what is this chaos well it's controlled and productive chaos that's what it is you know it's not just random uh, but very very well planned out um which is better than unproductive silence so um, I think this is great. And thank you for including that in your book because it's so important. Yeah, it really is. I had a, a, a principal uh, who told me when I was uh, starting as an assistant principal, we've got to support the, those teachers. If we want them to take risks, we have to give them support or else you know, we won't have anybody taking risks. And it was great advice. And uh, I'm glad that's included as well um, because we definitely want people to try things like this. And I like the implementation curve that you talk about because it will, um, you know, I, I always remember I was observing a class. I just popped in and I couldn't find the teacher because she was on the ground crawling around trying to plug something in. And I was like, you know, yeah, that happens. If, if you're teaching, that happens all the time and uh, it doesn't always look perfect. So I'm glad you included that. We have to expect the unexpected self for sure. So um, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your book itself um, in terms of you mentioned the tips for administrators. Um, what other, I'll call them tools, are included in the book that would help a teacher, an administrator, or whomever is ex trying to experience um, learning centers? Well, we do have some graphic organizers that help teachers organize. Um, we have uh, uh, some, um, um, Student charts. Yes, student samples, exactly. And um, just guidelines to help them run the centers smoothly. So, I mean, we kind of walk through the process. Like when you asked, where do we start? Anyone mm -hmm. who's ever read a hack learning book knows that 
what's so great about them is that they're super practical and they're meant to be read cool. in in your prep periods if you wanted to read a chapter in isolation of the rest of the book you could read the chapter and then try something out in the very next period that you go back into class so it's definitely written in a way where we identify a problem we give a solution um, we offer things you could do tomorrow to advance that solution, then a full long-term implementation if you want this to be a part of your class all the time. And then there's a hack in action, which is like a model or an example of how that learning happens and what it could look like in one iteration in one class. Um, but then there are also pieces of pushback and we address how teachers could address the pushback. And then we kind of summarize at the end and they have those leadership tips as well um, everything gets addressed from how to set up your room and different configurations and we had um, our good friend bob dylan who specializes in learning spaces write the hack in action for chapter two about learning spaces and um, then we have a lot of other guests too that sort of supported different different ways so that it wasn't just coming out of our ela experience that we also had you know, different kinds of examples at different levels that supported lots of different folks who were reading it. I've um, been fascinated with um, how we assess students um, always, but since, especially since I went to a conference with Grant Wiggins and Ken O'Connor and Tom Gusky in 2007, um, called it was called Beyond A, B, and C. Um, and I'm looking at, um, the formative or the the assessment having students assess themselves and at our high school the technical center does a process where the teacher sits down with every student um, and they have time in their schedule to do about 15 minutes per student and they agree on the grade but that's not everywhere and we also have some traditional you know 97 percent um how do you um well, I guess, how would you encourage teachers to start that journey? And then how do you um, help kids uh, understand that they're going to be deciding their grade based on their own evidence or whatever their, you know, grade, whatever you want to call it? So, Tom, you're speaking my love language right now. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, in my, when I was still in the high school English classroom, I did not give grades at all. We did um, assessment conferences at progress report time and end of term time. So every time a grade had to go on the report card, it was a learning conversation based on their portfolio where they kind of, it was like mini dissertations. And then at the end of the year, it's like, this was, this was my learning over time. And this is evidence of that learning over time and giving them the tools and the language to do it. And Karen really came up with a great sort of little sheet that did that on a very, um, day-to-day -day kind of um, way to scale it so that kids could be responsible first on the day and then on the week at the end once they or once they finished a rotation they had this sheet where they had reflected on each group that they were in and Karen you could speak a little bit more too about how you had those dialogues of feedback based on how they were assessing themselves on there. Absolutely so um, again in the sixth grade they um, we did it on a small scale and daily and after the center we gave about three to five minutes um, of course it takes longer in the beginning because they have to get used to the routine but then at the 
uh, you know, towards uh, the middle of the center rotation in the middle of the year, they were really just they had that language down pat. They were able to just really um, um, write down what they've learned and um, they reflected. They were harder on themselves than we uh, were on, on them. And um, basically they had a folder where they kept this log. Um, they wrote down what they learned, what their goals were, what their intentions were for next time. And then we uh, read them and we commented on them and we gave them feedback and then they picked up their folder at the beginning and at the beginning of the class next time they were able to look see our responses see our reactions and there were a few times as you know as a teacher something comes up a meeting or something where we couldn't get to to uh their reflection we couldn't read their responses and they, they would say, Ms. Twilgar, you didn't respond to me. Why? What, what, you know, uh, I'm waiting for you to respond. What happened? You didn't see what I did. And, and so they, you know, they were eager to hear from us as well. And um, it was nice because we got to give them feedback. And who doesn't want some feedback, you know? Right. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I love it. I love how the whole concept of learning centers really addresses the student accountability, teacher accountability too. Um, the whole idea of student, students really being engaged and active in their learning. So um, thank you so much for bringing that all together and you know sharing the ideas that sort of prompted this book and um, are included in the book. So this is awesome. Um, Tom, I don't know if you have any final questions. No, I, I love it. I can't wait to get my copy and uh, share it with others. Yeah, same here. Star, Karen, any final thoughts? Um, I would just say, be bold, take the risk, it will pay off. It, it will feel like a struggle at the beginning. And I, I can't really say that enough because you're not doing anything wrong if it doesn't work right the first time. Um, it's gonna take, as much as it's gonna take you out of your comfort zone to try, it's gonna take kids, especially at the secondary level, out of their comfort zone. So you just be patient with the process and know that if you're truly focused on your goals and your purpose, and you communicate those with clarity, the likelihood of it working faster is better. That's awesome. Ladies, thank you so very much. It's such a pleasure talking with both of you. Karen, meeting you, Star, as always, such a good friend to our association. Thank you. Tom, always great co-hosting with you. Yeah, I um, am very excited to watch Star's um, TEDx talk because I've been a grade reformer for, as I said, for a long time. So um, I was on your website looking there. At, <laughs> can't wait to see it. I can't wait to hear what you think. It feels like it's old already. <laughs> I, I suggest I showed a Doug Reeves clip at a meeting in 2010 or so, and it talked about uh, reconsidering the average, and it created a, a week of 
uh, teachers arguing at lunches. And I thought for a while That's I might good. not be working at the school anymore. Uh, <laughs> but, and, and then, uh, you know, 2019, 2020, they're like, oh yeah, we don't average. We, we never do that. We've never, <laughs> never, never thought that that was uh, the law. I'm like, That's not what you said 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh, uh. <laughs> That's, that's great. So the lesson to everyone, take those risks. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was Thank great. Thank you. Yeah. Be well. And we'll put all um, information on our show notes. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Thank you all so right. much. Nice meeting you. You too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of NHASCD Spotlight. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And be sure to visit us on our website, nhascd.org.